Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Peacock Streaming. The biggest sports and live events on the planet. From Super Bowl 56. What a game this is. To complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. Streaming every event, every day. It's all the unprecedented. United States wins gold. Unstoppable. Sensational. Unbelievable. Sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Mirror mine, mirror mine You twist and turn my mind Until I don't know who I am Mirror mine Good morning and welcome to a special edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. Today I'm joined by podcast uh, media platform extraordinaires, uh, the Touchy Gooners. Um, give us an intro, sir. Yeah, hi, good morning, Peter. Thanks for having me on. My name is Sean. Um, I'm from I'm part of the Touchy Gunas podcast. You can find me on Twitter mostly at SV Carboholic. Um, it was SV Undombele prior prior to that, but um a lot of people got onto me for thinking I was a Spurs fan, so I had to sort of change that app. But yeah, um you can find us on at Touchy Gunas as well. Um we record and release a podcast on a weekly Thursday and we also have a Patreon. So if you are um interested in extra content and you like what we put out, it'd be great if uh, you could, you know, join and, and see what else we have to to offer. It's a great podcast. Um I, someone shared it in my WhatsApp group and was like, you've got to get on this. These these guys have have got a great pod. So do tune in and um check on the website and I'll I'll have all the various links up. How did um how did the podcast start? What was uh like what was the inspiration? Uh so it, it's part of a wider um umbrella of um a platform named Touchland Fracas, which started I don't wanna get it wrong, but it started years ago. Right. And um yeah, so it was just a group of lads who started it. Um all had obviously various opinions, supported various differing teams, and then obviously as the platform grew, um thought to expand and obviously have, you know, different subsets of that. So um Arsenal specific podcast, Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea. Um, so, so there's there's loads of others under that under this same um, umbrella. Touch Touchy Goon is, is just a part of that as well. So and yeah, we're just um, 
looking just to yeah, continue to get our views out. Hopefully people resonate, even if they don't, you know, it stirs up discussion. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's it really, just looking to have good discourse with good people. And how's the, uh, has, the, has the pandemic made the pod better and like more intense? Like how have you found um, creating in, a, in a, an environment where you can't go to the games? Yeah, it's um, it's, uh, it's it's a weird one. We've probably been putting out more content, obviously, as we look to grow our own individual platform here as well. Um, obviously, when we had the first lockdown and there wasn't games going on as much, it was a bit more of a scramble for content. But, um, you know, obviously with a new manager, a novice manager um, and loads of things happening with regards to Arsenal, there's so much to discuss as well. Awesome. And... Um... I'd, I'd love, I'd love it if you could just give me a, a bit of background on uh, on how you came to support Arsenal. Uh, yeah, like a lot of people, my dad. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I grew up, grew up in East London, um, Hackney and Walthamstow, and then initially I was, you know, when I was like five, six, different friends um, trying to get me to support. There was there was West Ham, there was Spurs, there was United. But the moment my dad took me to Highbury, um, yeah, that was pretty much it. So I went when I was five. So I'm sort of starting to show my age of it is. And my first game was um, it's against Barnsley. So my early Arsenal heroes are like Paul Merson and Ian Wright. So they're kind of like, yeah, my, my sort of, yeah, big Arsenal heroes first and foremost. So yeah, the first game I took to Highbury, that was it. And there was never any chance of veering otherwise. And, um, you know, today's podcast is not going to be about... Um about specifics we're going to talk more broadly about the Arsenal project and, and get some different opinions on uh, on how it's going but before we get into that um you are uh, currently uh closer close into to Essex so the real London derby for you wasn't last weekend it's this weekend right yeah, indeed, indeed. West Ham. Uh, as someone who grew up in East London as well, yes, I know loads of West Ham fans. Probably if I didn't choose Arsenal, it probably would have been West Ham um, if it wasn't for my dad's influence. So I kind of, I don't want to say this too loud, but I actually kind of have a soft spot for West Ham. I kind of like, <laughs> it's obviously Spurs I don't like, but yeah, no, tomorrow's still going to be a very, very tough game as West Ham are doing really, really well this season. So um, hopefully we can get the three points there. The West Ham fans uh, are obnoxious, no doubt. But it's a more joyful brand of obnoxious behaviour. And I, I don't know if you've noticed this season, but West Ham fans are incredibly uh, incredibly negative about their own club in general. And, you know, when Liverpool got back to the top, it was, it was unbearable. West Ham have been a top four side all season. Not a peep out of West Ham fans because they're like, we know what's coming. Right, have you found that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, West West Ham, I think they've um, they've been through it. I know we talk as Arsenal fans is going through it. West Ham have been through it, so um, so yeah, they're, they're tending not to count their chickens too much. Even with Moyes before they had, this is his second stint with West Ham. So in his first stint, he didn't do too well. He's doing a lot better now. So um, yeah, I think that, like you said, they're tolerable because in relation to what comes otherwise, you know, with Tottenham and Chelsea fans how loudmouth they, they are and how loudmouth they can be. So, yeah, West Ham fans, you know, no one tends to have much of an issue with them, apart from Tottenham and Chelsea fans mainly. So Very true, very true. So um, let's, uh, let's, let's crack into the agenda today. Um, I want to talk about uh, a few things because uh, the Arteta project uh, is improving, and, uh, but there are, there are, there's a spectrum of how Arsenal fans feel about it. So I want to talk about like, your views on the Arteta project. I want to get into um, 
into players because Arsenal is a bit like a soap opera. There's always some little drama bubbling up. And then I want to talk about like, you know, a bit about hopes and dreams of where we're going. So uh, first things first, like I'd love to get your, I'd love to get your hot take on, um, on, on what you think about uh, the Arteta project thus far. Yeah, so I was very much one of those. Um, I wanted Arteta before we initially got Emery. So I just thought, you know, when Wenger left, I thought, you know, it's a good time to reset um, back a, a young, um, highly rated manager, albeit we hadn't seen anything from him. So I was quite disappointed when he didn't get the job and I was extremely disappointed when Emery got it and I couldn't wait for him to get sacked eventually when he did. So um, just because I wasn't, I'd seen his previous teams, you know, at Sevilla, Valencia, he had done okay, but I wasn't really a fan of the brand of football. I found it quite negative overall. Um, And, you know, I was essentially when we did go to get Arteta, I was, I was theorising a lot about what he would be, you know, because I think in our minds, a lot of Arsenal fans minds, we just had, you know, a pep regen essentially. So um yeah, I was very excited. I was I was um really happy, looking forward to seeing some of his new ideas. And so when he did um eventually take over, I was I was keenly, you know, involved straight away in terms of looking at his ideas. And if you think back to, you know, some of the early games where he, you know, he was using maybe Sakura as a, an auxiliary left back, but it, essentially he was playing as a left winger big, you know, because how of how Xhaka tucked in to the left half space. You had um the right back, Ainsley Maitland-Niles at the time, playing as, you know, an inverted midfielder. Um, so there were some interesting nuances. And, you know, um, even though the results didn't come I, initially, I kind of liked what I saw. Um, I think the early games, I think we deserved to beat Bournemouth, which was his first game. Chelsea, we were quite unlucky to lose. And then the third game was the victory over Man United. So I quite liked initially what I saw, even though um, results were inconsistent. I thought, you know what, I can get behind this. And hopefully with an improvement in personnel, we can see... Um, an upgrade long term. And then obviously, if you remember, lockdown came and then, you know, he sort of changed. Um, he had a f- couple games where he experimented with Saka centrally and then he eventually stumbled upon the 3 4 3 towards the end of the season. Now, I thought that was a means to an end um, just because, you know, um, players hadn't played for three months, um, results were paramount. Um, and obviously, uh, probably was stung by that exit to Olympiacos at the time. Um, so he stumbled upon a functional formation, which got us towards the end of the season. But I didn't think that was a system or, or the way he used the system. I didn't think it was very sustainable because, you know, we weren't creating a plethora of chances. We were winning games by a very, very fine margin. So it was great. And it led it to us winning the FA Cup, which was great. But overall, my opinion on performances at the time were... Um, I was, yeah, I was, I said, I will tolerate it now, but I think performances need to improve, improve a lot. Um, and obviously then we came to the summer and, you know, we were heavily linked with Hussam Alwar, Um and obviously it would have been great if we could have got him. But I think, you know, if I'm projecting the style of football that Arteta looks like he wants to play, um, he needs more technical, creative guys. So obviously he didn't get Alwar. Um, he chose to get William, which I, which I obviously, <laughs> not many of us are a fan of. Um and yeah, so we, we kind of approached the start of the season, how we finished the back end of last season. Um, and, and you could see the struggles. We were really involved in games, apart from the Fulham game, first game of the season. Um, West Ham was the second game, actually. If you remember that game, you were very, very lucky to win. I remember that second game of the season. We just weren't creating enough. Um, and that was sort of my main criticism. I just thought we're winning games on very fine margins or we're losing them by very fine margins, but surely we can't play... Um, like this whole season, just because it's not going to amount to anything. And lo and behold, you know, um, the results started to turn just because the performances weren't good enough. Um, we didn't really have a sustainable um, 
way of creating chances. We had no real centrality to our play. Um, and so it looked really, really bleak um, until obviously we got, and, you know, there were talks about Arteta losing his job around the Christmas time. And then um, uh, that game against Chelsea on Boxing Day was pretty much the catalyst for the change we, we've seen since. And I've been much more, um, you know, uh, positive about what I've seen since then, um, because I can see a sustainable way to try and build, a sustainable way to try and create an attack. And um, obviously results have still been up and down a bit inconsistent. But on the the whole, since December, I think performances have been a lot, lot better. And um, I can get a lot behind that. So with the way we're approaching games now, I can see where the incremental improvements will come in terms of improving on certain personnel. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm much more infused by what I've seen recently than probably what I had done from the September to November period, where I was questioning a lot of things. I'd say. So on the, you know, I want to talk about some of the bad things because you know there's obviously a lot of positive stuff going on at the moment, and people are like, no, there, there's a group of people that are like, look at it. There's a group of people like me <laughs> that are like, well, if you accept that he wasn't fired in December, that it wasn't good enough in December, and we have to judge from December because it was almost like the rebirth, uh, then, you know, we can talk about those positives in a bit. What I want to um, ask a question about is, um, do you think the the way that we started the season was a vision of how he was going to get through this year? Do you think that he believed that he could play a low margins game like Mourinho because he, you know, we were so clinical last season. Do you think he, his, his idea was we defend really well this season and we'd have a striker like Aubameyang to finish it off, or do you think it was he was constrained by resources? Like, how, how do you think he went into this season? Yeah, it's, it's 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 a tough one to ascertain, you know, because I'd like to hope and think that he didn't um, think that this was a sustainable way to play. Because, like you said, it's it's a very fine margins approach and. Um, if Aubameyang isn't firing um, and he's been on and off this season, then it, then it's a very, yeah, risk, risk averse approach. I, I found out, like I said, I, I really liked what he did initially and I, I got behind that and I um, tolerated what happened in the back end of last season. But if that was the approach that he was planning to, to use all season, then, then I would have been very critical and, and heavy. I still think he could have changed the system a bit earlier. Um, but yeah, I've had no problem since since he's changed um, the approach. Obviously, there, there are things that you can critique, but generally speaking, performances on the whole have been a lot, a lot, lot better. Um, so I'd like to think this is his overall vision for the team. Um, and maybe it's a case of, yeah, he just didn't get some of the players he wanted. Because, you know, when you listen to some of his interviews, he keeps talking about, we still have a lot of work to do. We need to buy a lot of players. You know, he talks about specificity in certain positions. Um and, you know, because because back in October, November, I was actually shouting a lot for him or Smith to get game time. So it was it, it was nice when he eventually did it. Um, but yeah, we need a lot more types like that. You know, if we're looking to play um, sustainable attacking combination type football, which allows us to sustain pressure higher up in the final third and pin teams back for long periods, then you need more players like um, Smith Rowe, like Odegaard. If you look at City, you know, they have KDB, um, Gundogan, Phil Foden, um, Bernardo Silva, those types, you know. Um, and they have two or three of those in rotation every game. Do you know what I mean? So I think you need minimum probably two of those starting every game. You know, even if you just think back to 10 years ago with Wenger, because um, I, I don't really like the way people were looking at it holistically, where they were kind of saying, oh, we have um, Smith Rowe, we don't need Odegaard. You need, 
you need as many good players as you can get, you know. We had Fabregas, it didn't stop us from getting Thomas Rosicki or Hleb or, you know, introducing Wilshire, Nasri or Sharvin. You need as many of those types as possible um, because that's the basis of which that sort of technical brand of football is built on as well. So, yeah, I would like to hope that going forward, we probably still, like, I would love if we could still go back for our war in the summer. I don't know if that's feasible, but, um, yeah, if we're going to go forward, for me, um, the whole basis of the team, I'm sure you'll, you'll touch, we'll touch on it later, is, is going to be built around the centre of midfield. And, and we still, in my opinion, have a lot of work to do there. Yeah, I, I think that's um, I think that's such a good point about the players. It's like every, every time we go to sign somebody, it's, it's like uh, Erdegaard is on the agenda. It's like a, a, a player that was signed by Madrid at like 15, 16 years old. And we're like, no, no, what if he harms somebody? It's like, we've got no creativity. Take what you can get. Um, on on that on that subject, you know, like you, you're very um, interested in the attack inside a player, and I think we can get into that. But I th- I think that the the one true thread that has gone has, has gone start to finish is we hired in um, Mikel Arteta because we thought we were getting a brand of Pep Guardiola football. Uh, he didn't start there, right? It, for the you know, it, it started out more George Graham. You know, you mentioned Merson and, and right. You know, you grew up on George Graham football, built from the back. Um, it it has been the defending has been consistently good since uh, since he came to the club. Um, what what do you what do you think um, what do you think has allowed Arteta to make uncoachable defenders look semi decent at the moment? Because it's been consistent even when we've lost. We don't get hammered anymore. What do you what's been the biggest improvement that you've seen in the structure of the team? That allows yeah, that. I, I even tweeted about this the other day. Like, I think there's a lot of things you could probably critique Arteta about, but I think one of them you can't is, you know, how good we've been defensively under him. And I think that that's been a marked improvement for how we were, you know, under the latter years of Wenger and during the Emery era as well, where we were conceding like 20 shots at home to teams like Cardiff as well. Um, oh God, but, yeah. What, <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that too much. But I think one of the things that are, that is great is that, you know, his approach, especially with this 4-2-3-1 at the moment as well, is that um, basically the pivot in midfield, both of them always operate behind the ball. And um, if you look back to, you know, how it was with Wenger, one of my big frustrations with um, Aaron Ramsey as well was that, you know, he always used to vacate that central midfield spot as well. Um, and when his partner was Xhaka, um, I've got a lot of criticisms about Xhaka, but, you know, he was left to fend for that whole midfield himself, essentially, in transition. So um, basically, I think Arteta's overall approach, similar to Pep, is to attack with five and defend with five. So you see how when we approach and build up, um, Tinney is pretty much an auxiliary left winger. But you see the right back sort of tucks in a bit more. So the axis yeah. is almost um, a third centre mid as well. So basically the job of the central midfielders are to um, obviously provide balance, provide control, but also um, cover the wide areas in transition in case in case we do get counted upon. Um, and then obviously the right back as well is also quite deep. Um, so, you know, it's just about having the necessary numbers, but also about um, the spacing across the pitch, which allows them not to be, you know, um, counted upon. So I think... It's one of those things when we're attacking, we're still quite mindful of positioning wise. So, you know, then you still allow a lot of flexibility and rotation. So you see people used to interchange a lot when you used to drift over to the left or to the right. And and that was great. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, I don't think we have that sort of strong defensive structure that we do know under Arteta. So I think he's really been good in terms of that, you know, in terms of the position of certain individuals. Um, and I also think, yeah, it's good just to have... Um, because when we used to get counted upon, it was always through the middle. Like, you know, you used to see teams just running through. Like, Rip through us. It's like they're running through the River Nile in Arsenal's midfield. <laughs> there's, 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 there's literally nothing there. But um, but yeah, I, I think that approach to have, you know, two predominantly um, 
defence-minded players, defensive-minded players in the midfield allows for that balance to, to approach up front as well. So um, so I, th- I think that's one of the key highlights of that. So yeah, I think that's good on that front. I think there was um, an, an interview with um, Seb, Seb Scalacci from a few years ago. Like he, he came to Arsenal with a pretty good reputation and left with a pretty bad reputation. And um, I, one of his points was at Arsenal as a centre-back, you are constantly exposed over and over and over again. And I think one of the the things about this new system is our centre-backs are very rarely exposed. Or if they are exposed, it's like 20% of the game now instead of 50%. And it does make you wonder, the the years and years of having quite average centre-backs at the club, what, you know, what success we potentially could have had if we covered our defence in the same way that we're doing now. Like David Luiz looks like a rock star at times. I know he still makes mistakes. Gabriel in the North London derby looked like a rock star, but I think it's the system that is allowing that because um, they're less exposed, right? So they can do their job. They're not, maybe not as mentally fatigued as they were. What do you think on? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I generally agree. I do think our defenders are protected a lot better. I also think in terms of, um, the style. I think. I think it's sort of natural to an extent, though, because you know you look at Liverpool. Obviously, they've they've petered off a bit now, but you know when they were at their pomp, basically they just used to leave um, Gomez and Van Dijk back by themselves as well. So it's also about whilst you have the defensive structure to protect them as well. If you want to play that sort of high line um, style football that Bayern also do, it's also important to have you know defenders who are athletic, strong, agile, good in one v one duels, and that's why I like Gabriel a lot, and I hope. Um, you know, William Saliba will follow suit as well. Um, obviously, these guys are young, green, will still make errors, but we're buying them in terms of what they could be, you know. And, um, you know, you, you see, like, at times, like, Liverpool, like, their fullbacks are forward in the final third with the front three. Um, but then, like, if a team tries to go over the top, like, Van Dijk is good in one-on-one duels, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a bit of both. So, I think the structure has definitely helped in that regard. If we're going to look to be even more expansive, then, yeah, we'll probably need to get make sure that profile is right. And I think the likes of Gabriel Saliba um, fit that sort of mould, even though I think Murray's actually done quite well when he's, when he's played as well. So, so yeah. So sh- sh- keep keeping on the topic of Vartek, because we will get into individual players. Um, one of the, uh, Matt, who, um, who, who co-hosts on this uh, podcast, one of these things with Arteta is that um, says he lacks charm. And I think, if there is a consistent theme with Arteta, with certain fans, it's that maybe he doesn't manage certain player situations particularly well. I mean, we've got the the Meza Erzul issue. We've got William Saliba in the in the French press every week complaining about his um, his treatment. I wanted to ask you: do do you think um, do you think the way Arteta behaves towards certain players has been a necessity, or do you think he's fumbling around like most rookie managers do trying to manage a, a difficult culture like what do you think of the approach yeah, so far I, I, I think it, I think you're right on both parts it, it, it's a mix of both there is part of me which thinks that certain players don't get treated the same as others but there are also a, it's also a case of you know he's he's come from a winning culture at City so he knows what a winning culture needs to look like so he's probably not looking to take any prisoners in that aspect and you know Arsenal for probably the last five years have been pissing money up the wall on people who you know some have come to use Arsenal as a retirement home some have you know it's just an easy there's not been a culture of we need to win at Arsenal um and 
Arteta wants to come in and stamp that out. So I, I respect him, you know, for his decisions, even if I don't necessarily agree with them. Like at the end of the day, you need to have conviction of your decisions and you live and die by them, whether um, people agree with it or not. So I respect that because at the end of the day to do that, that's what you need to do to create um, a culture of, you know, creating accountability. And um, But at the same time, that there are certain things, you know, like like the, the William stuff annoys me just because um, I think he's been garbage pretty much the whole season. And, and you know, I, I, I do think like, obviously it's Arteta's signing, so he's trying to big him up as, you know, as, as much as possible. Um, but I just, I don't think that Olive Branch has, you know, been extended to others, maybe with the same, the same degree, like, you know, when he went to Dubai, that sort of situation was killed dead in the water. We don't really know what, what happened there. And at the same time, you know, you could argue others maybe haven't been given that same leeway. Um, he's been a bit on and off with Pepe at times. Um, obviously, we know about the Saliba situation. I don't really have a problem with Guendouzi because I think he's a bit of a brat and I hope we sell him. Um, Torreira, I don't, I, don't, I don't really think he had an issue with Torreira. I just don't think Torreira is really settled and maybe it's not um, particularly in line with Arteta's vision. Um, who else? Um, I think the I, I think Ainsley Ainsley, Ainsley yeah. ride, right? A- A- Ainsley's an interesting one. Um, but it looks like now where he's quite concrete in his mind that he wants to be a centre mid. And I respect that, do you know what I mean? At the end of the yeah. day, it's his career. But at the same time, the manager doesn't think you're good enough to play centre mid. So unfortunately that's gonna come to uh, a divorce in the summer. I, I really thought, you know, if he committed himself to being a good fullback, I think Ainsley could have been a really good fullback because he had all the athletic qualities to play there. But one of the things that's always frustrated me with him, and I'm sure it's the same with others, is, you know, concentration issues, you know, sometimes being a bit too lax. Um, yeah, so unfortunately, I think um, probably it, it's more than likely it's time to come to an end. In hindsight, like we probably should have accepted that bid from Wolves in the summer and just moved him on. Um, but yeah, I expect him to move at the end of the season and I like him because I really wanted him to do well, but I just wish him well and whatever he does because yeah, he's not going to make it here. I don't think he's good enough um, and probably doesn't have the right attitude that Arteta wants anyway. I think one of the I think one of the biggest errors that he made from a personal perspective is uh, was Meza Ozil. I think that he vastly misunderstood how bad how badly that would impact uh, the mood around the club. I think if you're, um, when you've got a player on that much money, you tell him in in June, you are never going to play for Arsenal again. There is no chance. You're not coming on in pre-season. You're finished. So you make a decision now. Um, and it, it sounded like Ozil didn't know that, that, that he was going to be exited from the squad. And then every week, Meza Ozil, Meza Ozil, Meza Ozil. And, you know, if if it were me who has no experience at top level coaching, I would have at least kept him in the mix, like keep him on the bench and say, look, this being good this season is in your interest so that you get a good next move. And I, I, I think that I think that he miss I think the club mismanaged that situation pretty badly. And it, even outside just the bad press, Meza Ozil was a big personality behind the scenes. And I think having people like Socrates and uh, you know uh, others, not even in the squad. I think that that caused them um, a lot of toxicity. That and you know since Christmas, uh, since we started playing better, since we exited all of the dead wood, most of the dead wood. Mm-hmm. Like it's it feels like there's a better mood around training because you don't have those personality drains behind the scenes. So I, I think that that was a bit of a miss. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, t- totally agree. I think just Urza was because you know 
not every player is like Ozil. Ozil was a brand essentially himself as well. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. when you're thinking of Mesut Ozil, you're not just thinking of a footballer, you're thinking of what comes with him. You know, you, you look on social media, he's got more social media followers than, than Arsenal. Do you know what I mean as well? So you have people who will, and I think this is just akin to, you know, the culture of football we're probably now in where, you know, people support players just as much as they support a club as well. So um, yeah. that that sort of strain behind the scenes is probably, yeah, one Arteta will probably learn a lesson from and, you know, yeah, not trying to in- engage with again. So, yeah. It's, I'd say what, though, it, it is interesting to look back. Um, everybody criticised almost every single move that he made uh, uh, this season with regards to exiting players. Maybe not everyone, but uh, Kalasanak and Mustafi, you know, toxic characters behind the scene, not contributing on the pitch. They go to Schalke and they have, you know, they form a coup against Christian Gross. He's out almost immediately and blames those two. And they've been awful on the pitch. Um, Matteo Guendouzi uh, won't be retained by Hertha Berlin. Can't get in the in the Hertha Berlin midfield uh, despite being fit. He's played started one game in the last seven weeks. Um, Ainsley, I think is I, I think Ainsley they want him back next season and he's been solid. Um, Saliba's been. Fairly solid, but you, you, yeah. you think you think Arteta will want to keep Ainsley for next season? I I, I, th- I think so. Uh, I, e- I, even I, if, I, like you know, Ainsley's quite big on saying he wants to play midfield because I, I just don't see Arteta giving him what he wants. I, I don't. I think the problem with Ainsley is less. I, I don't think it's a talent thing. I think it's focus, and I think I think the hope is that he'll get some minutes and he'll learn the hard way. Um, in a system where it really, really does matter. Like each goal really can, you know, be the difference between surviving and not surviving. And also like working in an environment where, you know, if you doze off and you cost a team points, you could be, cost, you could be costing players their careers uh, at, the, at the highest level. So I think the hope is that he comes back um, more focused, uh, more mature, and then, you know, he can make strides next season. Might also be interesting, you know, he, he Arsenal is a bit like dining out at a, a you know a Gordon Ramsay restaurant, and he's kind of slumming it in a in a McDonald's at the moment. Like, I wonder if he comes back and he's like, you know what, playing right back for Arsenal or being a auxiliary player isn't the worst, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's, been, I don't think there have been many bad decisions. I don't think that you know Torreira can't get in the side um, mm-hmm. uh, at Atleti. And I, I don't think there have been many regrets of players that have been moved mm. on so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree. I don't think anyone's left and you thought, oh God, we could really do with them right now. So yeah, it's so, fair enough on that front. I guess the final part on uh, on the Arteta, like, you know, you said that you were you were big on the, you were at the Arteta in club. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we're, we're, we're basically the sort of snobby, progressive people <laughs> on the left we're like we're, yeah. we're progressive we're, we're, we're thinking a different way but um I do want to go back to this because I, I uh I think it's called FT right the 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 little football community oh football Twitter yeah right <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, F, the FT community is uh, yeah. is hilarious and I do love it but uh they were everybody went all in on mm. Mourinho mm-hmm. everybody went all in this is the perfect side for Jose uh, you don't understand he's going to win the Premier League this season. And there's been some breakneck pivots, but I want to talk about the the managers that were linked with Arsenal um, second time around. Uh, Nuno at Wolves, 
Carlo Ancelotti wanted the job uh, and Jose presented himself uh, for the whole world to see. He wanted that Arsenal job. Um, how do we feel now? We're still 10th in the league. It's not mm-hmm. been a great season, but how do we feel about the, the future compared to what Spurs, Everton and Wolves have got at the moment? What are your, what are your thoughts on the, on the people that were in the list with us? Do you have any regrets? Uh, yeah, yeah. So just to caveat, I'm a massive football snob. Like I only support. <laughs> I want to see. Att- <laughs> I want to see attacking football all the time. So yeah, so yeah. Mourinho for me, like I just don't understand Arsenal fans. Like if you, if you respected Arsene Wenger, even if you wanted him gone, like I just don't understand how you could ever have wanted Mourinho to manage us. And even if like you like, even putting that aside. I mean, he's been getting sacked regularly from each job. Like, he's the guy is a busted flush. I, I really don't see what you think he can contribute. Like, he's using tactics in 2021 that, you know, he still thinks it's like 2004, 2005. So, yeah, I think he's been washed for a long time. I remember when he first took the Spurs job, he talked about reinventing himself. But I think they're, I think they're a pathetic team, especially as like, you know, even in the North London derby last week, I thought they were just massively disappointed. Like, you have like Kane, Son and Bale, like, and you just choose to like, camp on the edge of your area like constantly I, I just think he's yeah I, I hate I hate those sort of tactics generally anyway so I tend to root against whoever sort of plays like that so um yeah and just not to before we even get onto the talks of his personality it was just a massive massive no-no for me and um where we are as a club um Arsenal need a rebuild and Mourinho has never shown any signs of you know being a manager who can rebuild you know what I mean Mourinho is a win now win at all costs sort of manager. Um, so I would never trust him with a rebuild. Um, and that same sort of applies to Ancelotti um, at Everton. I actually yeah. didn't, I quite like Ancelotti. I think, I think he's a decent he's a good manager, guy. but he's, yeah, he's a good guy. Good. Um, but he's never shown signs of, you know, he's always taken over squads that are, you know, readily made as well. Um, so it'd actually be quite interesting to see him um, at Everton, like how, how it pans out long-term at Everton. But, um, but yeah, if you ask me, I kind of think his best days are behind him. Um, like if he's, he's sort of slowly, steadily been drifting down the ladder, you know, his last job was by Munich and then he ended up at Napoli. Now it's Everton. You kind of see where that trajectory is going. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. And also tactically, I've never thought he's a great manager. I think Got he's outsmarted by fucking Emery. Yeah, pretty much. I, I think, I think he's, um, like you said, he's the nice guy. And I think he's the sort of guy, you know, a lot of senior if if you have like a squad that is ready to win, it's which is about managing egos and and yeah. it worked quite well for him at Real Madrid. Um, a lot of the players respected him because he took over after Mourinho was sacked from Real Madrid or, or left, whatever. The and he won the cha- and, yeah, and he won the Champions League first season with Real Madrid. So yeah. uh, I think he's that sort of character. Um, so I, again, I wouldn't trust him with a rebuild. And Nuno, I've just never been enticed by him. I think I think he's done an okay job at Wolves, but you need to also factor in mind. Wolves have spent an awful lot of money, even from when they got promoted to the championship. Um, when they got promoted from the championship, sorry, I beg your pardon. So forty million on a teenager, exactly. And they have um, obviously Jorge Mendes as well there with the connect. So that's helped them a lot. And I've, he's done a good job. Don't get me wrong. Solid, but um, yeah, he's he's done a good job. Solid, but I don't think the ceiling's high. And for me, like again, I said I'm a snob, so the football isn't particular. I, I don't find <laughs> I've watched a couple of Wolves games, and I think it's quite boring overall to be fair outside of Pedro Neto who I really like and really rate I, I, I don't really enjoy watching Wolves as a side so yeah so all of them was a no for me um so yeah the um I want to go back to um Mourinho because I just I, I love it there's nothing there's nothing more beautiful than people calling Mourinho elite and watching it fail and it's you know the thing that the thing that gets me uh 
it, you know, like certain characters carry this weird aura about them. You know, like Meza Ozil, five assists in two seasons. Andy Carroll got more last season than Meza did over two seasons. Andy Carroll. But the, the the aura still lives around him. He, you know, and now he's gone to Fenerbahce and he's he's awful. But um Mourinho's the same. It's like when when he was at United and um the 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 sort of underlying narrative was actually Mourinho has has United at the absolute top. When he goes, you're gonna see that what he was what he was keeping on his shoulders. And then he goes and now Ole Gonosolska, a PE teacher, has them in second. And uh he, get, he gets picked up by uh, Daniel Levy and you're like, wow, um, Pochettino, whatever happened in his last season, players adored him, fans adored him. The football was pretty exciting. You know, he extracted a lot out of young players, got into a Champions League final, out the door um, a season later. I'm, I was thinking, you know, you've got a lot of young, exciting players. It's going to be like uh, Marco Rosa or it's going to be a Nagelsmann. And I, I, was, I was a bit worried. I was like, Daniel Levy learned his lesson from hiring, you know, people like Harry Redknapp in the past. And he signed, he signed, he watched the Amazon documentary, he signed Mourinho because he's a star fucker. And he's like, in awe, because he's grown up watching Mourinho over 20 years. And someone, someone in the game messaged me, I, I, I messaged about the Amazon football series and I was like oh they they don't show the tactics boards and he's like yeah that's because there's nothing on them and I was like but they're they're top of the league and the everyone in the game is like just wait just wait you'll see you'll see what happens lo and behold it's like the the game at the weekend a lot of people talk about um the Spurs game that Spurs plays play badly I I actually don't agree entirely um I just think that our off the ball movement and our sort of micro tactics all around the picture uh, didn't allow Spurs to play. Now Mourinho comes out after he's got the same thing. Our players weren't aggressive enough. They're too nice. No, your players aren't coached properly. That's a, that's a, a brilliant squad of players. And I, I think I completely agree with your point. You've got a player, you put the ball anywhere near Harry Kane It's painful. He's just so fucking good. Like he can assist like that cross to Deli Alley at the back post. Um, he's just deadly. And your strategy is a fine margins game when you've got Sun, Harry Kane, and Bell in your front three. It beggars belief. I, I just and and that's that's the funny thing. Like Spurs aren't even good. they don't have good defenders. So I'm like, surely you just lean into what are the strengths of your team, and like that's yeah. the attack. Do you know what I mean? So even like someone like Endombele, like you bought if you saw what he was doing for Leon in the Champions League against teams like Barca and Man City, he was on the front foot. He's not someone who wants to, you know, sit back. So I just, it, it's a case of, you know, understanding the relation, like what your players' actual talents are and, and sort of leaning into those jumps. And, and I also agree with you. Yeah, I just think tactically he hasn't evolved at all. Do you know what I mean? The game of football has evolved. And for me, I was so gobsmacked when Tottenham sacked Pochettino. I, I, honestly, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, sure, Nuts. he had gone he, he, he had gone through like a bad period of form. Okay, cool. Are you going to sack every manager just because they go through a bad period of form? I'm like, he had done well at Tottenham for, you know, five, six years. It was probably at a point where, you know, the team needed a bit of refreshing, refreshing. Yeah. And um, obviously Spurs had just moved into their new stadium. So financial constraints to an extent as well. So they probably, um, Levy probably wasn't willing to spend the money that needed to be spent to refresh the team. Um, and instead he just thought, oh, you know what? These guys are getting on now, but I'll just get in a proven winner who can tighten it up and deliver. But it just doesn't work like that. And like I said, if you had followed Mourinho's path for the last five years, you know he's a, you know he's a busted flush. Do you know what I mean? So I don't understand why 
Um, and the fact of the matter is, the, f- the best club that wanted him was Tottenham, really and truthfully. If he is, as you quote, quote unquote, say, still one of the best managers in the world, I'm sure a load of um, the better teams would have been after him. But he's just toxic and, and everyone would avoid him with a barge pole. So, yeah, that's uh, good on them. I'm, the- I'm loving seeing this. I loved how yeah. he got spanked by Zagreb. And I just I hope. This- oh, my God, that was beautiful. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just hope it continues. So, yeah. Yeah, completely agree with you. And the the question is, how long do they keep it going? Because and I'm also staggered by Levy as well. It's like you start to think, wow, we moved him to a new stadium. He's a genius. Uh, and then uh, you, you see he's, the true colours of Daniel Levy coming through. They've got to pay out $25 million if they fire him. Why? Like Chelsea get it right now. Chelsea just give managers 18-month deals because they know that they're going to sack people. That's the way that you should operate. You don't need to give managers three, four, five-year deals in in, in twenty in 2021 so I, I just hope that they keep him on for another season just to really test out whether it is actually completely shit maybe the pandemic made Spurs rubbish but let's um let's keep that going so um moving on to um moving on to the squad because uh there's our, our squad is a is a is a is a drama um and part of the part of the part of the thing that people don't see is uh like what goes on behind the scenes um you know a lot of people wonder about the Haylenders. Like some of the Haylenders that aren't there at the moment aren't there because they're not 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 the sharpest and most well behaved behind the scenes. You know, the players that you've got on the pitch that stand out are the players that are, are right in the head. Saka, Starboy, Starboy number two, uh, Smith Rowe, like Martinelli, all focused. Um, but like some of the uh, some of the others that that aren't quite there aren't there for a reason. Um, but I wanted to talk about the good parts of the squad like what are you see like which players are you like I didn't see that coming this season like what are you who, who's exciting you as a as a, as a, as a football <laughs> snob give me the best yeah. no I have to be totally honest um uh, so when Saka first burst in, into the team I never really watched much of him in the academy so he came into the team he played um a bit under Emery and then like Arteta used him as left back and I just thought oh he looks okay. He looks functional. Like so, what he's doing now, um, further forward, I never really saw it. I can't. I have to be honest with you. I just never saw it coming. I'd seen him. You know, Arteta tried him um, the left of a midfield three and used him at left wing, and I thought, you know what, he's a good player. But I didn't see that star boy quality. You know, I really like him on the right wing. I really, really do like. And then I think someone put it perfectly on Twitter where they said it's like every week um, you might have a critique of. Saccharin and he's just downloading new software and showing you stuff that you didn't think he could do. Um, started <laughs> yes. doing step overs, going past players. I said, Oh, I don't think he can move him behind. He scored that goal against Southampton where he ran in behind. And I was just like, This, this is this is great. And I think that's very indicative of someone, you know, with a very, very good high high footballing IQ. Um, and I, I saw Lundberg on, you know, um Super Sunday last week, um for Sky Sports, and he was just basically saying he was like, Yeah. He's not, he's someone who doesn't shy away from what he doesn't know and he's always willing to learn. And I think, um, testament to what Arteta said, you can't really put a cap on someone who has that approach to the game, who's always willing to learn, he's always looking to improve. And um, for someone who's left foot, he's got quite a strong right foot as well. So, um, and obviously, you know, even though he's quite short, he's got a stocky frame about him. He can go either side, left or right. So it makes him harder to pick up, predictable. He moves in behind and um, now he's showing more in product. So it's really a case of, you know, him building up that consistency. I guess um, some might say he's tailed off a, a bit in the past couple of weeks, but you've got to remember he's, he's a 19-year-old, you know what I mean? So he's going to have tired. Those, 
he's tired. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's yeah. pretty much carried us the whole season. So yeah, and, and, and that's not a problem. And I also want us to be very mindful of, you know, we can't kill these youngsters. And I think Arteta said as much yesterday, he said, we've got to put the right environment around them for them to thrive. So we don't really want, you know, um, Wilshire or Fabregas cases where we just burn these guys into the ground. Do you know what I mean? So we need to have that adequate quality around them. Because if you look at someone like Phil Foden at Man City, who I think is an outrageous talent. Crazy talent, like, yeah. yeah. Crazy, crazy talent. But he's in and out of the team all the time. But it probably yeah. benefits him because, you know, he's not burnt out. He comes in, uh, he can show what he can do. And I, I think it's great. So we need to probably get to that point, you know, where we have enough options within the squad where, because I think, you know, we're probably past those days, you know, in football where you had that established eleven. Um that plays, you know, consistently. I think it's good to have like what you consider your best eleven, but also know that we're going to be rotating regularly if we're going to be playing every three days. If you look at City, um, it's always funny, always seeing like my, my group chats, people are like, oh my God, my fantasy football team is in the mud because Pepper's changed and rotated like Sterling. He he, uh, he rotates like three, four times a game, do you know what I mean? So in terms of who he starts, you never know who's going to start Man City. But I think that one, um, obviously they probably adjust depending on your position. And also just to keep other teams guessing as well, so they don't know who they're going to be marking or picking up as well. So it's about, yeah, it's about having, back to your point, it's about having quality. So I think Saka is um, the main one um, who's who's shocked me. Um, I was always quite convinced about Smith-Rowe. I, I, I watched quite a bit of him when he was younger as well. And he was part of that um, under-17 World Cup winning England team as well. So he's, he's, a, he's a big, big talent. Um, naturally, you see uh, all the nicknames. Um, Brexit KDB, Croydon Kakar. Brexit <laughs> KDB. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, all, all of those nicknames. And, and I think he's got, he was probably the best player in the North London derby last week, actually. Him and Zinni, so, um, he's so he's, powerful. Yeah, yeah. You he don't has, see it. You don't see it coming. Uh, uh, you don't see it coming because he's, I, I didn't realise actually six foot, but he has, yeah, like, no, you know, yeah. he has the dribbling ability of, you know, someone who's, who's a lot smaller, like low centre of gravity, ball sticks to his feet as well. Um, and he also has that same Smith Rowe bit about, I mean, stack a bit about, you know, self-reflection. Where do I need to improve? What do I need to do to get better? There was an interview yesterday. He said, I need to, you know, the best number 10s. Um, he said he looks up to, you know, Creelish. They're contributing goals and assists and, and that will be the next challenge for him. So, yeah, love all the youngsters. Um, love Thomas Partey. Um, what do you like, think's going on? What do you think's up with Thomas Partey at the moment? Do you think it's just yeah, a bit sloppy I, I in the last two games, right? Yeah, he, he, he has been. So I, I don't know if it's, if it's a fitness thing because um, he does seem to tire quite easily after about 60 minutes. He looks to start to get a bit tired and that's where his pace starts to get a bit sloppy. Um, so maybe it's a fitness thing. Maybe it's a case of, you know, he's had a few niggles here and there and he's just trying to get over it because it's really weird if you look at Atletico this guy was never injured <laughs> you know what I mean so it's never. Uh, yeah. it, it just feels like another Arsenal curse again so but at the same time even though we haven't seen him at his best yet there are obvious games where you've seen his quality if you look back to that man of the match performance at Old Trafford like you just look at what a midfielder is what he can do um, like for me the best midfielders are the ones who do stuff in one two touches um, and, and when he's at his best you know gets the ball out of his feet, triples away from one, two, from one, two players and releases it as well. So um, I'm still very positive about him, him, him long-term. So I just hope, yeah, he can get up to full speed and um, yeah, keep fit and we can see the best of him. I tell you, uh, uh, so I, I, I agree with those players and the, on the Saka point, um, there was a, there was an article or, um, you know, an interview with, I think it was the sort of now shamed Lucasen, who was uh, exited from Arsenal for uh, horrible things? But he says he said that they that they ran an analysis. I think it was him, and 
he could be a top three left back in the world, but not a not a top uh, like wide player. I love that. I love that it immediately looks like he's wrong, and the I think intelligence is such an important word because footballers maybe ten years ago you could be power and pace in the Premier League and get away with it. Like lots of examples of players that were just like raw power and could just bulldoze you. I think the this sort of like football isn't simple anymore. Like it really isn't. Like you look at the complexities that go into like our best performances now and you look at the movement, you look at the triggers the players have to be aware of and they're doing it all running, sprinting 12 kilometers. So football intelligence is so important. And Saka and Smith Rowe just epitomize it. It's like, you know, the, it, the, what I love about them both is you go back through the years and you're like, who do they remind me of? And that like Smith Rowe is a little bit of every player I love. A little bit Merson, a little bit Perez, a little bit, a little bit Rosicki. Saka, I, I, I don't even know who he is. He's like a, a silent assassin. He just, you know, like he's, 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 oh, He's obvious on the pitch, but it's understated. He just kind of sneaks in and it's just, yeah, like, like, he's just, they're just so exciting. And they're both teenagers. It's just phenomenal. It's, it's great. It's great. It's, we, we've really lucked out there in the sense that, you know, we've developed two players who happen to be good enough for the team now. And obviously that can save us a bit in, well, I mean, we still have a lot of work to do in the transfer market, but it makes it easier to an extent. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's great there. And, and hopefully long, long may it continue and we can continue, you know, to produce more from the academy that, um, you know, homegrown. I, I think it's, it's always that thing as well, like of the affinity you have with the academy, like no external signing is ever going to give you the joy of, you know, a homegrown player making it and actually being good. Um, and, and that's just kind of like, like if you ask me my two favourite players at the moment for Arsenal, it would probably be those two and maybe Odegaard, who I really like as well. But yeah, th- th- those two as well. And just it's just a sense of like almost like a proud like uncle, like you just feel you're, you're really happy for the mind. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's, it's great. It's great to see. And there's um, and I want to talk about two, you know, two players as well that it's, it's unfashionable to talk about, but we've got to do it. Um, two players that I've been really impressed with Cedric Suarez and Granite, and it's I know it's Granite is a real sort of trigger player, but um, Granite Granite Xhaka outside the you know the errors like everybody everyone talks about resting Saka talks about resting Thomas Partey you know who's in there every single week it's Granite there's something in that right I, like I, I would love to hear your opinion on what like what's what's clicking for him because we can't keep on saying he's shit because clearly mm. not no 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 de- 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 definitely not and I think there's, there's something to be said you know Jacques always seems to be one of those players that's probably appreciated more by managers than fans as well you know he, he, he takes responsibility on the pitch um obviously he's a big guy six foot plus he's good in jewels um he's uh he's got a good range of pass as well so no I, I, I think I think he's been doing doing really really well ultimately um if you still ask me I still think we probably need to do better in that position just because you know I think like I said there are just bits about you know when I you know if you look back to that Burnley game as well with the error as well I said, we're always going to be paying from the back you know and I just always want midfielders who are just comfortable on the ball comfortable under pressure um and and obviously, I think one of the things about Xhaka sometimes is that obviously he always wants it on his left, predominantly very strong, um, heavy left-footed bias. And you know, if, if he's if he's getting pressed, he doesn't have you know that sort of uh, mobility to get out of the press like a like a party does as well. But but he he does do well. I think like 
someone said it perfectly they said what what's Jack's strongest quality is the fact that he's always available and someone said what's his biggest weakness sometimes the fact that he's always available as well do you know what I mean so right, yeah. it, 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 I think he, he's, he's a bit of a Marmite player um I think he does some stuff really really well um but it's also a case of how can you accommodate his flaws continuously um and you know how liable is he to for that flaw to 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 blow up every time because obviously not to the same extent but I also kind of see him <laughs> and it, it might come across a bit controversial but you know because I thought for example Mustafi might have um a great game do you know what I mean he might be having like an eight nine out of ten game but yeah. you just know always somewhere down the line with Mustafi he's going to have a mental breakdown at, at some point there's a I mean? two there's a two yeah. lurking in the wings yeah there's there, there's there's always something that that's that's just going to blow up and it can even be uncharacteristic or unprovoked as well. And you just have to question how, how reliable that is. Um, so I think he's good. It, the question you have to ask now, is he good enough for where we want to go and what we want to be? I think that's where there needs to be discourse about personally. I, I don't think so. Um, but I would always be happy to keep him as a squad player, but I think with how he is, who he is, the personality he is, I don't think he'd ever be happy to be a squad player personally yeah and you it's difficult to it's difficult to not correlate our non-top fourness without looking uh you know who's been in our center midfield and and, and, it's, and, 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 and and it's one of those things like I, and i don't want to obviously all put that down to him because there are other external factors as well obviously we like you said we haven't qualified for the champions league since he's been a permanent fixture in the team um but like i said i just always think arsenal at their best have been a team that moved the ball very, very quick and efficient through midfield. Um, obviously, now it's a bit different because we play a more positional-based game under Arteta, where it's quite fixed and there's, there's less rotation. So, And I also think party's presence is probably good for um, Xhaka. You know, having a, a midfielder who can also occupy the in the first and second phase and who's good at a pressure, having him there probably takes a bit of pressure off Xhaka as well, so it gives him a bit more time on the ball. So... Um, I think that is good. And it's probably like a solid base to build from for next season. But I still think going forward, if you want to be a team that is going to be a, a Premier League winner or a Champions League winner, if uh, assuming that's that's our ambition, then I still think you'll need to do better at some point. Yeah. And I, 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 I like touching on one of those points, it's like that you had about his flaws. It's you would rather have a, you would rather not have to wrap strategy around a player's flaws you'd rather unleash positive elements and it's like Thomas Partey you're like okay he's got a better range of passing than everyone thinks he has how do we unleash that um Granit Xhaka it's like how do we protect him from himself uh and I also think that if when you're you know Martin Odegaard in his first two games gave away some hospital balls and you're like that's a that's a bug in the system and you can put a little bit of code around that and, and save it. Once you get past 25, if those bugs are still in the system, it, I don't think that you can, I don't think you can debug Jacker. It's, it's part of the program. It's like a, one of those, one of the, it's, it's like, what's that computer game that came out of all the bugs in it? It's like, you just have to play it and it, 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 it cyberpunk. That's it. I was trying to yeah, make an yeah. interesting cultural reference. <laughs> that you, you know, everyone plays that and they accept that there are bugs in the game and that's just part of the game. And I think that that's the problem with Xhaka. I would, I would be interested, you know, you're a, a, a Ndombele fan. Um, and, you know, he was top of FT 
hot lists for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like I wonder, you know, if you were if you were given fifty million to go out and spend on a partner for Thomas Partey, like where mm-hmm. would you go with that budget, and what were what would the key attributes be that you would look to? So I think it's someone that replicates Xhaka's because because we know what Xhaka is, right? Xhaka is a high volume, like regularly gets close to 100 passes per game. So he's sort of like a metronome passer. He wants to get it, give it, get it, give it, create angles, either go to break lines or, you know, hit diagonals. Um, so it needs to be someone who, who's high volume, but also probably just more mobile, I, th- I, th- I think is, is is the biggest factor as well, who can do stuff quicker, you know, because sometimes that's one of my big criticisms about Shaka, just doing stuff under pressure. Um, so funnily enough, I've always been a big fan um, and he's probably this is one of the few ones Arsenal, Arsenal might regret actually is um, Ishmael Beneser, um, who, you know, he was an Academy yeah. prospect prospect here. Um, he actually reminds me a lot of, he has a lot of similar traits to, you know, what Jack Wilshire did in terms of taking the ball on the half turn from the defenders and evading one bit of pressure and then releasing. Um, but can also, he's also got a very, very good range of pass. Um, he also doesn't have that, you know, that Jack thing, which sometimes Jack did to, in terms of over dribbling and stuff. He knows he's a good dribbler, but you know, it's Jack about knowing. Jack, Jack, I mean, Jack wanted to take on the whole world at times, which, which yeah. was sometimes due to his detriment. So he has a lot of those good qualities. Um, obviously, probably the downside to him is that, you know, he, he's a lot smaller um, than Xhaka is, you know, because one of the good things actually about Xhaka and Party is it's a beefy midfield partnership, to be fair to them. They're both six foot plus and they're both strong. Um, so uh, he, he would be a consideration. I also like, um, who, who, who else am I a fan of? Um, it's hard to be fair. I, I haven't watched it a great, great deal. Difficult, <laughs> it's, it's difficult, it's difficult yeah. scouting, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So, but yeah, I just, I just think we need someone a bit more press resistant in there. Which, which would be sort of which would be sort of the profile I would go for, but also a high volume passer at the same time. I'm probably describing like a seventy million pound player who probably like we just don't really have um, you know you know a, a chance of getting. So yeah, and and also a, a lot still depends on if how we are building now, you know, with the four two three one, or if we're going to slightly change and you know build for a single pivot in future like City do. So. I don't know um, is is essentially the answer. Sorry, I'm yeah. I'm sort of not answering. I'm sort of evading the question here. But yeah, I think I think depending on the composition of the midfield, if we're still going to build through the two rather than the one, um, that will kind of determine determine who we go for. But it'd be great to have someone athletic, but who's also a high volume passer as well. Is basically basically. I, I, so I've seen a, quite a couple links um, this week actually with Sander Burge. Sheffield United. Oh yeah, he um, seems to constantly be linked, right? Yeah, and and a lot of Arsenal fans are quite snobbish about him just because why would he plays for Sheffield United? But I think it's quite a weird one because if you look at him before he joined Sheffield United, he was actually linked to a host of really, really good clubs. So I was even quite shocked when he rocked up at Sheffield United, actually. And he's actually very, very good technically. He's he's a monster, by the way. He's like six foot five. Um, but you wouldn't believe like he's actually quite he's got very, very good feet for someone of his size. Um, so he can play in the first and second phase, but he can also carry the ball forward as well. So, it, it, like I said, it's interesting. He's the sort that could probably play as a lone six in the pivot, but could probably play as a partner for Irish Jackal party as well. Um, so he's a predominantly another behind the ball player as well, but he can carry and he's got the size and, and physique about him as well. So that would be an interesting option if, if we did if we did choose to pursue that. There's um, Bubakari Samare at Lille, who, who's another one as well, but I'm not sure about his passing um, so yeah, I, generally I'm, I'm not sure, but I just think 
it's an area where we can and, and we need to we need to do more. If you talk about where we can make in terms of improving, um, like making incremental gains and, and you know becoming more dominant as a team, then then it then it would be midfield for me. So yeah, I love the idea of identifying um, identifying value in shit teams, basically. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. Like, I mean, you, you only got to look at how Liverpool did it, um, created a title winning team. One out of them. Yeah, Wijnaldum, Andy Robertson from Hull. So I, I think, yeah, sometimes it's, um, yeah, people can be a bit snobbish about buying from Premier League teams as well. But also, I think probably one factor to probably bear in mind there is, you know, a lot of the Premier League teams have money. It's where the bulk of the money spent, you know, when you look around Europe, it's the Premier League teams that are spending as well. So they probably charge you an arm and a leg if you wanted to go. I mean, Sheffield United might be a different case because they're going to get relegated. So um, Sander Burge, yeah. if it was an option, might not be that expensive. But yeah. I think that we're going to have to be clever, and, I, and that you know that's that's all that I'm looking for out of Arsenal. I don't feel, I don't think we've been intelligent in the transfer market for years. You never go, oh that 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 feels interesting. Mm-hmm. Actually, until January, where I, I, I yeah. thought I thought the obvious thing Arsenal were going to do was Christian Eriksen or Isco, and mm-hmm. we took a chance on Martin Erdegaard mm-hmm. that had more of a long term view to it, and I just hope that. But whoever we sign in that centre midfield spot this summer, I hope it's unexpected, right? Mm-hmm. I hope mm-hmm. that it's it, it feels like oh wow, like I, I want to hear a, a Danish journalist say actually what this what this guy does is X Y and Z, and this is mm-hmm. like a, a you know NASA space scientists um, mm-hmm. can tell you this about him, right? Versus mm-hmm. William. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Oh, I, right. I, I, I'm not I'm not overly fussed about names to be honest. It's more the skill set. That I'm, I'm concerned about like it could be anyone like for, for as long as I, at the end of the day like what I always say to people is that I'm never really ever scared about losing players because it's football there's millions of people that play football do you know what I mean so it's and this this is where you know your scouting your, your recruitment comes in you know as we did with Martinelli you can pick up good players anywhere we picked up Martinelli from the Brazilian fourth division do you know what I mean so which was about, an incredible signing right right, right ex- exactly so that's what I'm saying there's good players anywhere so I don't I, it, the name doesn't bother me as much it's just about having the skill set that will you know come in it will adapt it will move us forward as a team essentially so Sander Burge 23 years old as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah that, that's get players so that you said, can sell at some point basically exactly so and yeah because it's, it's all about in addition to you know I, I know football fans don't want to think of it this way but it's a business to an extent as well you need to build squad value and that, that's what you know having good youngsters coming in like Smith and Saka as well coming in will do as well so because like you said we have, we've never we've never sold well we've, we've notoriously poor sellers you know bar probably the Iwobi and Oxley Chamberlain deals um, which were good for us um, but generally speaking we've been quite poor on that front and those were homegrown guys again do you know what I mean so yeah um, so yeah we need to do we need to get better and we need to sort of build squad value so yeah I would also agree with you I don't really want us to sign anyone um, above the age of like 26 and even yeah. if we do, then they have to be elite, like a Thomas Partey, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, I felt like Thomas Partey is was a was a he, he was twenty seven, yeah, yeah, and but he was yeah, yeah, like that. Like I, I don't care if we don't get resale value. If you get four years of him at the top, like mm-hmm. you're you're going to be in good shape. But mm-hmm. I would like us to uh, like continue to age down the squad, and also you know, like Martin Odegaard, Smith Rowe, Martinelli. Mm-hmm. What does that tell the rest of the world's young footballers? Go come to Arsenal, mm-hmm. do the work, you get really well coached and you'll become a better player. And I kind of, I've always pushed this idea, like Arsenal should be Dortmund plus, 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 mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We should be the best place to go for the best young talent in the world. And 
Erdegaard starts to get there. It's just, do we continue that? Well, I, I, don't know, I, don't know, I don't know if you saw that Sven Mislintat interview where he spoke about, you know, in 2006, he said Dortmund based their model on Arsenal's as well. So it's kind of, you know, sort of gone full circle. Circle there. of life, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we need, we need to sort of go back to that as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, right. Okay. Well, look, I, I, I used up a, a lot of your time there. Um, just tell tell everybody where you're, um, uh, where they can find you. Yeah. So um, again, my name's Sean. I'm from um, the Touchy Gunas podcast. Um, I'm on Twitter at SV Carbaholic. Um, so literally SV and then Carbaholic. <laughs> and then, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter often um, moaning during the games and then eventually the next day giving some reason analysis afterwards. Or, yeah, so, yeah, that's where you usually find me. But also, yeah, if you're interested, please, yeah, do listen to our podcast, That Touch of Gunas. Um, we release on, normally on a Thursday. And then if you're interested in subscribing to become a patron, that would be great as well. But thank Shum, you very much. Shum, it's absolute pleasure having you on the show. Yeah. We'll definitely do um, this again. Do tune into The Touch of Gunas. It's a superb um, podcast. Um, it's great fun and um, you need to listen. And on that note, thank you for joining. We'll um, catch up soon. In, enjoy the game on Sunday. Thanks. Thank you. Cox Streaming, the biggest live events from Super Bowl 56 to complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. It's all the unbelievable sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.